Hello, and welcome to another edition of the PCOS Diva podcast. I'm Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. Today, we're going to be talking about PCOS across a woman's lifespan, and we're going to be paying particular attention to sort of the time frame that I think is uh, forgotten um, often for women with PCOS and not really talked too much about as we kind of move beyond our reproductive years, and that's women that are in perimenopause and menopause. And I've invited Dr. Megan Kirschling and health coach Wendy Borhauer to talk about this subject, and I want to um, welcome both of our guests. Thank you. Hello. How are you? Well, I want to tell our audience just a little bit about your both of your backgrounds. So Dr. Megan has both an allopathic and alternative medical background. She's a doctor of chiropractic, and she also has her BS in nursing and exercise science, as well as a master's in nutrition and a master's in nursing. And Wendy is a holistic health coach like myself. Um, She's also a graduate of the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, and she works with, um, her focus is on learning um, hormones, toxins, and organics, and helping um, and mentoring her clients through making appropriate lifestyle change. So again, welcome both to the PCOS Diva podcast. Thank you. Thanks, Amy. So I also wanted to um, highlight your really fantastic website called Beyond the Basics Health Academy. And before we um, kind of dive into our our subject, I was hoping that you could kind of tell listeners about that great resource. Yeah, so uh, we, um, Wendy and I, have put together uh, a website that's based on a lot of the same philosophies uh, of PCOS Diva, where really education and information is key for a lot of people that, you know, we're in a time where there's a lot of people that know that there's dysfunction in their lives, um, that they're not as healthy as they can be. I mean, they're not necessarily getting the answers from even traditional uh, medical or that they're not getting an actual disease diagnosis. And so they're sort of stuck there in between. And so what we've done is we've built a website that's based on a podcast, uh, blogs, and then also courses to try to give people that bridge of information so they can be their own advocates and they can be their own resource. And so that, you know, I think uh, knowledge is power and being healthy is very powerful. And I think it's really important that people take some of that into their own hands through education and whatnot. And as people, this is Dr. Megan speaking right now, and one of the things you probably notice is I have a lot of letters after my name (laughs) from a lot of school. And I don't think people have to go to as much school as me or get as many student loans as I did in order to educate themselves and allow themselves to know more about how their bodies work, both during health and then also when disease or dysfunction kicks in. So we've really built, I think, a website with that in mind. Mm -hmm. Educating globally. Yep. Yep. And And then we have a sister company where we're trying to find other providers so that people can treat locally. So trying to bring together sort of a community across the board on different health topics. But women's health is definitely one of the topics that we've really focused on. I think it might have to do with the fact that Wendy and I are both women. Yeah, could be. Uh, We work a lot with women. And, you know, it's definitely uh, when we talk about women and women's needs, 
there's a lot of things that go into it from hormonal balance to family structure, the friends we surround ourselves with, the environment that we're in. So we like to sort of tackle all of those uh, in sort of a fun but educational way. Yeah, and I really um, would recommend listeners to, to check out that site. And I know women with PCOS that follow me really love information about essential oils and PCOS and or just essential oils in general. And you have some really fantastic podcasts. I noticed one of your recent ones is about frankincense. Um, so, yeah, definitely please go check that out. And one of the reasons that I invited both Wendy and Dr. Uh, Megan onto the the podcast is they really approach health and healing from this holistic point of view, as Dr. Megan was explaining. And I find that practitioners that treat women with PCOS that are looking at kind of the whole woman um, seem to have just much more um, success. I think they're much more relatable and, um, you know, I, th- I think they're perfect to kind of uh, join us as we talk about PCOS through a woman's lifespan. So um, maybe you could start, Dr. Megan, and kind of um, walk us through, you know, some of the, the typical, um, you know, signs and, and uh, symptoms of, you know, what are you seeing in, in adolescents that come to you? And then, then we'll kind of uh, maybe dive into that um, kind of forgotten woman. You know, what happens during that perimenopause, menopause time? Well, I think that's so perfect, too, because, uh, you know, PCOS obviously does have different manifestations throughout the lifespan. So usually these are women that, you know, right from the start, they have problems with their menstrual cycle, and they know it, you know, whether or not they've got the menstrual cycle and then they don't have it again for three years. Or, you know, right around puberty, they have excessive weight gain or they start to see they have excessive uh, weight gain or then they start to see the other signs and symptoms like facial hair or acne. Uh, and they, a lot of times, you know, we'll go looking for solutions. But one of the solutions that's given is, oh, you'll grow out of this. That, you know, let your hormones sort of balance themselves and, you know, possibly in a couple years you won't be dealing with this. And so... You know, it's sort of one of those things, and when you're young and you're going through these kind of things, then you just sort of think, okay, well, you know, somebody of authority told me this. Mm-hmm. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll be fine. And so what happens then is that a lot of times I find that women don't really take charge of PCOS until fertility comes to be an issue in that reproductive um, age uh, because they've sort of been told, you know, you'll just work through this. Now, some are very lucky to get a diagnosis and be told, okay, this is what's happening um, and this is what we can do. And even in that situation, I sometimes see like, okay, we can put you on this and we can do that um, and then we'll deal with it when you want to get pregnant. And so then what happens, though, is that, you know, we go through then and work with a woman with PCOS on fertility. And I find that we take an approach with PCOS that we do with a lot of other things where one size sort of fits all. And so instead of uh, approaching these women and really finding out where the insulin and blood sugar problem comes into play and balancing that and balancing hormones, getting progesterone up, decreasing testosterone, those, you know, hormonal imbalances that we see, we just sort of throw that sort of textbook fertility care at them. When there is so much more that they can do, diet, lifestyle, you know, all the things that you talk about on PCOSDiva.com, I mean, that is just, you know, such powerful resources and things that really do make a difference because if we can get to the root of the problem, if we can get to blood sugar and insulin 
and balancing the body and getting the body back into a balance, then, you know, fertility and things like that are going to happen uh, easier. And they're going to even have better results if they do need traditional medical and fertility drugs and things like that. So then I see that usually then if it's under the radar or if it's now on the radar, that then the women will, women will go through. And uh, a lot of times, though, I still see where PCOS is one of those diseases where it's just sort of managed, if even that for, I guess, a lack of a better word, but that, you know, people just live with it or what they say, live with it. Um, and they're sort of told, well, this is just something you're going to have to live with and that, you know, there's nothing really we can do unless, you know, we can give you some metformin or sometimes spironolactone or those kind of medicines to try to change some of the pathways. But at the end of the day, once PCOS, always PCOS. Right. And really, when it comes down to it, and you talked about this on the podcast that's coming out, Podcast 100 on Beyond the Basics that you're on, is that one of the things is that don't accept that truth. Don't accept that as the end-all to be-all. And that there are a lot of things that you can do and that there are things that you can do to get control of PCOS. So then moving ahead to perimenopause and menopause, I find that this is sort of the forgotten uh, woman. And there's a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons, I think, is that PCOS really was not on the radar until about 15, 20 years ago. There were so many women that were dealing with this metabolic concern and this fertility concern and this hormone imbalance. And what was happening is that they weren't getting a diagnosis. And so they never even really knew that they had PCOS. And then they go into perimenopause and menopause. And the one thing that I really see in this patient population is weight gain. Uh, you know, they have learned that they have to do specific things. And these are, this especially goes with the women that haven't had the diagnosis of PCOS. Uh, and so maybe they struggled a little bit with fertility, but they were able to get pregnant, so they didn't think much of it. Um, they had facial hair, they had acne, but they just were told that was their norm. And so then they go into perimenopause and menopause, and they get a lot of excessive weight gain. And these are people that have learned that they need to eat really healthy, restrict sugars, restrict carbs, um, you know, take out gluten and dairy and those kind of things. And then all of a sudden they're gaining weight when that hormone shifts again. And the reserve is shut down. And so then what happens a lot of times is that then, you know, they'll go in, they might go into the OBGYN too because they might start to get more painful periods. They might start to get more heavy bleedings as those hormone shifts in the body and the cellular response to hormone shifts. And then they're all of a sudden told, well, this is just norm. Again, this is their normal. And so a lot of times though, when they come to me and we start to take a look and we realize that we need to address them though and assess them as a perimenopausal woman and not a reproductive age woman, that their hormone levels might not be off as much as a reproductive age woman, so it's harder to diagnose, but you still will find changes in their insulin and their blood sugar, uh, maybe their hemoglobin A1C and their uh, hormones, especially if we check a more functional approach like saliva or urine. And then to treat them then uh, in a sort of PCOS way of really balancing out hormones and insulin and get phenomenal results. But it's just a comprehensive individual approach that I'm finding a lot of people aren't taking. And this then does become sort of that forgotten population of PCOS women because they never got a diagnosis. Um, they're going into that stage of more silent hormones in the sense of, you know, their hormones are no longer going to be at the higher level that we might see that makes it diagnosable. But in a, 
perimenopausal and menopausal stage, they're definitely findings that we need to address. So maybe, um, I don't know, Wendy, if you can kind of chime in, you know, what are you telling, and I know it's not the one-size-fits-all approach, but maybe you could take a kind of maybe a specific client um, that you could kind of think about, and, you know, what kind of lifestyle recommendations are you working with uh, with that client to kind of help her lose the weight and, you know, balance the hormones, you know, in conjunction with, with what Dr. Megan is um, doing as well? Right. So, you know, to kind of jump off what Dr. Megan said as well is the diet. You know, the diet is really such a core uh, thing that you have to get your head around. You know, the eating healthy makes a huge difference. Cutting out those carbs, minimizing the carbs. Even, you know, a lot of people have a really difficult time giving those up. And just get off of them as best you can or eliminating them 100%. Also, the dairy. I find women... Specifically, as we get older, as we age, dairy becomes more of an issue. And that really, you know, and I know more and more dairy producers are taking out the hormones. But, you know, just eliminating dairy, eliminating gluten, eliminating carbohydrates, it really seems to make a huge difference for so many, not even just women, but for so many people in general. And it really seems to take away the... um I guess the the swelling, the inflammation, the brain fog, and it allows you to really, I think, then figure out what any underlying symptoms are that you still may have. You know, and, and there are women that once they eliminate or change their diet, they can focus so much better on is there still something else that needs adjustment? Is there something else that still needs to be addressed and then at that point, you know, you can direct people to a functional medicine provider or, you know, for additional recommendations or medications or, uh, you know, essential oils, that type of thing. But I think really just so many things, you know, 80% diet. I truly believe in 80% of how our body reacts is we have to put that good in and it's 20% exercise. You know, a lot of things is too is, we find that women who, with PCOS are possibly even coming into menopause a little bit later mm-hmm. because their, you know, their cycles are different and their hormones are a little bit more fluctuated and a little bit different. So they may not even know, is, is this that I'm starting to go into menopause or what's actually going on here? Because now every, you know, nothing is ever normal for the PCOS woman. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they always feel like they're just a little bit outside of, of normal, you know, and, and so many women take for granted, you know, normal cycles and, and normal ovulation. And, you know, I, I hate to categorize it as normal, but, you know, so many people take that for granted. And for those of us who have, we go five months without a period or we get those horrible um, aches and pains and bloating and, you know, just the all-over body inflammation, these are important things to be recognizing, be journaling about, you know, and and I'm a huge, huge proponent of taking down what are you eating every day and within a half an hour or an hour, writing down how does that make you feel? What is the difference? Do you notice that it's better or worse for you? So I think for me, it's really more about clean eating, mindful eating, journaling, and then if, after you've made all of those changes, once those changes are made, 
is there still something else that needs to be remedied or something that you can send them to a functional medicine provider or, or maybe even work in conjunction with their primary care physician? And there's two points I really want to sort of piggyback off with what Wendy said. Dairy and PCOS is something, and I'd be interested to see what you say about this, Amy, and what you found, but um, working with your um, clients. But I find dairy is one of the big culprits with PCOS, and I do believe it has a lot to do with the mucus-producing yeah. effect of dairy itself, that, you know, it can lead to more cyst formation and just cause more of that mucus production that occurs in ovaries, because our ovaries and our reproductive organs are mucus-producing mucus yeah, organs. Right. Um, and then also the other thing that I want to say is that sometimes in this uh, perimenopausal, menopausal stage, women's hormones, will finally feel balanced right. in a PCOS woman because they're finally getting into a situation where some of their hormone production is changing, that increased estrogen and that estrogen dominance is coming down because they're not producing as much in the ovaries. So it's decreasing that gap between estrogen and progesterone that we see so often in PCOS. So sometimes these women will start to feel hormonally balanced. Right, normal. Yeah. Which is, is a bad thing, again, to say, but... They do, and they're like, oh, my gosh, now what's wrong with me? Right. Because this is a complete shift in, in how I've adapted to my life previously. Yeah. So that is one thing that I see, too. So, I mean, again, definitely everybody um, sort of has their different journey, but I do mm -hmm. see that every once in a while where women will come in and they'll say, I actually now feel a little bit more balanced uh, and feel a little bit better uh, now that I'm going through some of the cycle changes. Yeah, and, and I think your point about dairy um, is is so true. It's um, and I think it's also the casomorphin in the dairy that um, the, the the protein. It's the A1 casein, and it it hits your digestion, um, and it kind of part breaks off to become casomorphin, and it acts like an opiate. And I'll tell you, it, it's so hard for women to give up cheese because of that opiate-like effect, um, and, you know, we become addicted to cheese, and I think it also, I don't know, um, Wendy, if you find this with some of your, your clients, but I think dairy becomes kind of a comfort. It's almost like a warm hug, <laughs> you know, when you sit down to a bowl of ice cream or, you know, some, some crackers and cheese, and there's something really comforting. And that's why I think for women, especially, like, in their 40s and you kind of have to rediscover yourself and, you know, what are the things that really bring you joy and pleasure and get, you know, start um, doing those activities and sometimes I think that the, the joy that you feel from really engaging in your life, um, you you lose sort of that, that craving for dairy. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> Perfect sense. You know yeah. So many times, and, and I've talked about this previously, is that so many things in our lives revolve around food, meals, as a social gathering. You know, think about Easter and think about Thanksgiving and about Christmas dinner and, you know, Fourth of July picnics. We gear our lives so many times around these type of celebrations that food becomes memories. Food, you know, food becomes, you know, just a, a social way of life. And yes, dairy and the cheese and the crackers and, you know, the hors d'oeuvre plates and, you know, the ice cream celebrations. So, yes, it, it actually is something that you have to learn how to break away from that and realize that there's more to that than just the underlying food 
is giving you comfort because it's really not. It's the memories that you're making. And I think so many have sort of, an I, can, I call it an abusive relationship with food in the sense of, you know, we will be in denial that it's causing us harm. Right. We'll be in denial that, yes, you know, that cheese did feel so comforting going down, but three hours later, I was so sick. I didn't feel good. Right. I was sick. Or the fact is, is that sometimes, you know, with these sensitivities, it doesn't come till the next day. So you're like, it's not the cheese. Right. It's not the cheese. It must have been the broccoli I ate last night. It could <laughs> not have been the cheese. And so that's where that food journal does become yeah. powerful is that you can start to see patterns. Okay, every time I eat cheese, I am sick the next day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do think that a lot of us, and I mean, I'm, you know, also, uh, to, you know, this also is something that I am uh, at fault for is that there are a lot of times that we just have an abusive relationship with food. You mm-hmm. know, there's the foods that we love and we don't want to think that they're not good for us. Right. So, you know, this time of year, those jelly beans can possibly be causing problems. <laughs> so I just think that, you know, it is a matter of sort of, and everybody's different, so it is figuring out what your foods are. And then just realizing that you're worth making those changes for yourself. Absolutely. You're worth, mm-hmm. you know, that there are other options than cheese. Uh, and so, and I always tell people, I know that whenever you have to take out a food, the first two weeks feels like, what am I going to do? You know, like what cheese is everything. Cheese. Right. Yeah. You know, I can't have my grilled cheese. I can't do this. But then after two weeks, it's almost amazing how easy it is. Like yeah. you don't even realize how much you miss it. So, mm-hmm. but I know that those changes at the beginning, you just you. I think the first two weeks, you're sort of in that denial stage, and you're sort of in that anger stage, like, oh, geez, I've got to find an alternative. And then after that, you feel so much better that you don't look back. So, you know, I know with my patients, I really focus on saying, okay, let's do this for two weeks, and then let's have a serious conversation about how you feel, because usually after two weeks, you'll at least see some positive, where if you come back two days later, they're going to be like, nope, I'm not noticing anything. I'm not mm-hmm. noticing anything, so can I go back to the, right. that cheese or whatever food it is? So, Yeah, and, and I think that nothing tastes as good as feeling good feels. I know Certainly for me, that's the case. And so just to sort of um, bring this part of our conversation full circle, you know, there's a lot of women that are saying, okay, I'm beyond my reproductive years, um, or I don't want to get pregnant. Do I still need to go gluten-free? Do I still need to go dairy-free? And I think we're, we we say, the three of us can agree that yes, um, because it causes a lot of inflammation. And if you are feeling better on a gluten-free, dairy-free diet, then you really should stick with it, um, you know, as you, for the, uh, you know, remainder of, of your time. I mean, I, I know that I, I'm going to be sticking with gluten-free, dairy-free because I just feel better and I can um, enjoy my life better. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's not, you can't think about it as deprivation. You need to think right. about as how amazing, you know, a lot of people don't really realize how bad they feel until they feel amazing, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've noticed that with your clients as well. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, I, I just feel fine. I feel fine. It's just not that big of a deal. But once they finally have made that break and turned their brain into a completely different way of thinking, and now all of a sudden they're like, I had no idea mm-hmm. how badly it really affected mm-hmm. me. And now I feel great, and I just don't want to go back to it. Or if they have a mishap and, you know, accidentally fall off and they go, well, it'll just be fine, and then they're really... Yeah, they have a big reaction. Yeah, and then I think that that kind of focuses people as well. Because that's that's a good thing to remember, too, is that if it's your diet every day and you're having that reaction every day, it's a low-grade reaction in the sense of 
it's easy to sort of ignore. If you take it out and then put it back in a couple weeks later, it is an in-your-face oh, yeah. reaction. And the other thing I want to say, too, is the reason why I really do like to work and work a lot with perimenopausal and menopausal women to say, okay, you know, I really do think that this metabolic concern of PCOS, this hormonal imbalance of PCOS, um, is something that you've had for a long time, if not, I mean, really your whole life, right. but yeah. that it's manifested over a long period of time. Let's do these specific tests and let's test you. But the reason why I think it's so important is because I sort of believe that sort of that perimenopausal, menopausal age is that age where you really should be, you know, a, a butterfly coming out into yes. a whole new life. Like yes. this is, you know, you've raised kids, you've had your job. You, they, those should be your glory years. Like those should be the years that you're, you know, feeling great, doing what you want to do, and um, just really flying high. And you know what? You're really, just to quote Amy, you're now at your diva state. Yeah. Right? I mean, you really are because everything about you, you you've, You've advocated for yourself for so long. You've raised your family. You've become this successful, positive, intuitive woman. You know yourself, and you're finally recognizing who you are. And now you're this diva, and you need to own that period of your life and right. just and be happy and be you know fulfilled and just be amazing. So that is one. Yeah, that's one thing I think both Wendy and I sort of uh, relay to people in this time frame is that. One of the reasons why it's so important is because probably one of the other reasons why this might have gone undiagnosed or untreated is because women are so good at taking care of other people yeah. and, you know, especially mothers. I see this all the time. I can have a mother come into my office who can barely stand upright because she has the cold and the flu and she's like, can you please help my child because, you know, is an ingrown toenail or right. something like that where, you know, you've spent so long um, with other people's needs that I really think, especially at this time of life, to focus on yourself. And so that you, the best years of your life are ahead of you. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I totally agree, especially being 44. I mean, I, I've been focused on that. Um, well, let's shift the, the conversation a bit. I want to talk about two things. Um I want to talk about toxins, and I know that you know we're getting in, you know, in our forties and and beyond, and think that that toxic load that we're sort of exposed to, all of these um, endocrine disrupting toxins, can really wreak havoc for the perimenopause, menopausal woman. And I know I'm I'm working on a functional food based uh, uh, detox program. Um, but I'm just curious if that's part of your dialogue with your perimenopause, menopausal patients. Yes, absolutely, for both Megan and I. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's funny, Megan and I just had this conversation last night about doing an estrogen detox. And mm -hmm. women of all ages right. really should be doing an estrogen detox, some more than others. And yearly. Yeah, and, and yearly, if not maybe by, you know, spring and fall is yeah. another great you know, our bodies are sort of meant to detox in the spring and the fall. You know, if you actually look at the way that our bodies go along with the cycles of the season, mm -hmm. uh, spring and fall were, you know, spring cleaning should happen in your body too. Yes. And so one of the things is I do highly recommend that, you know, I'll do a more comprehensive, both Wendy and I will do a more comprehensive detox, estrogen-based, plus, you know, getting the liver geared up and making sure – the gut and everything else is working, but then a lot of times, you know, after that, to still go ahead and 
recommend that people do this, you know, yeah. once a year or twice a year, depending on sort of their schedule and their, you know, some people are like, well, I really think I only want to do this once a year. Well, that's better than nothing. So I'm yeah. very happy Absolutely. with that. No, but Megan and I really were, were huge advocates of cleaning out your house, cleaning out your cupboards, you know, switching your life over from the BPAs to the more safe uh, food storage methods and, you know, the Megan is a huge fan of uh, coffee enemas and just all types of... Wendy will be someday soon. (laughs) (laughs) Wendy's a soon-to-be fan of uh, coffee enemas. But, you know, just detoxification in general, because of all of the the lotions and the perfumes and the products that we use on our body and, you know, just everything that we're constantly being assaulted with on a daily basis, you must, must, must detox. Well, and I actually have a very good, I think that this will resonate with a lot of people, um, story about, and I've worked with a couple patients like this because being in Minnesota, I have a lot of farmers. And so one of the things is that um, I'm working with a family uh, right now, and the woman has been going to somebody else for hormone replacement for a year and a half, and they've been doing an exceptional job. So she came to me because she's not really feeling any different. And so, like, I just had a conversation with her, and I said, to tell you the truth, I mean, yes, there's some things that I can find to, but if I really look at the big picture, we're missing the big picture. And, you know, so I asked her, you know, are you exposed to any environmental estrogens? Because her whole pathway was just sort of shut down. And she said, yes, I am a farmer, and I didn't know it until I'd asked her. But she then said, you know, the amount of chemicals, the Roundup and the other uh, estrogen mimickers and hormone mimickers that she'd been exposed to, she went through sort of the list. And, you know, her whole pathway, like even the precursor, the main thing that we were finding was the precursor, which is DHEA. That she wasn't able to get her levels up even with significant supple- or actually prescription DHA. So that's where it said, okay, well, you know, I think the obvious thing here is that we don't need to necessarily keep going after your hormones and these end products. We need to go after what's shutting it down. And so that's a huge, I think, takeaway for a lot of people is that, yes, I know not a lot of people are meant necessarily exposed to that level, but we are exposed to the foods and we are exposed to just environmental. And it's in our air. It's in our ground. Mm-hmm. You know, and we have lifetime accumulation. And so we need to make sure then that, you know, we're not just looking at, okay, let's balance the hormones. Let's also deal with the things that we've been exposed to because none of us can live in a bubble that we need to cleanse and get rid of so that we're not shutting down the pathways where we're trying to also support us. I tell people there's no reason to put on the gas while we're put on the brake. Right. Let's go after both. Yep. Yeah, that's great advice. I like that analogy. Um so I get a lot of questions about from women that, you know, okay, now I'm not really interested in getting pregnant anymore. I've, you know, I've had my family. Um, do I still need to take, you know, supplements for PCOS, you know, now that I'm in my perimenopause, menopausal year? And I think, you know, a lot of supplements, they have names like, um, you know, Ovaboost or Avocetol. Those are two um, inositol supplements that that come to mind. And, you know, they're focused on that, you know, kind of the the term of ovulation. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on supplementation for women in in these years that have that's, PCOS? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm glad you asked it, too, because that is one of the major questions. Um, one of the things to remember, too, and I say this to people because I've gotten that about um, Avocetol myself, is that they're like, well, this sort of sounds like it's if you want to ovulate and get pregnant. 
Remember, too, though, a name is just a name. It's more about the mechanism of action. And I think it's really important to remember that the main thing about PCOS um, and one of the main underlying causes is that there's that dysregulation in insulin and blood sugar and the cell receptor of insulin, which also puts you at increased risk, you know, for cholesterol and other metabolic concerns, you know, um, weight around the middle, uh, cortisol and that stress hormone. And so those are the things that we want to make sure that we balance out, especially, you know, as you go into a phase in your life where the hormones are going to sort of dim down. Um, but then a lot of times when those hormones dim down, then sometimes those imbalances then start to shine through more. Mm -hmm. And so you do want to assess the uh, imbalances and you want to uh, then go after and balance them out. So there, I love Incital. I think the mechanism of action and the research behind it um, is amazing. Berberine is another one that there's a lot of research behind and even compares it a lot to metformin. And then there's a lot of essential oils um, and different things that you can do with essential oils. And I know there's lots of information on your page, too, about different essential oils you can use. And so even though the goal might not be fertility, the end point's still the same, that we want your body to be in balance. And yeah. this isn't just the hormones, but it is also the blood sugar, the insulin, the stress response of the cortisol. And we want your body to be at peace. And so a lot of those, uh, you know, um, supplements might have names that are geared towards fertility because there's just a lot of women that that's sort of their focus. Focus. Right. Um, and it's, I don't want to say it's marketing, cause, but it's sort of that, you know, branding or way of, you know, getting to the population they want to get to. Yep. But it doesn't mean that if that's not your end goal, that there's still not the mechanism that will support your body and help to balance you out. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And then I think but what you had mentioned, you know, women with PCOS um, are hitting menopause later and you are ovulating still. And that's what we want our bodies to do. So even if it is Avocetol and it's, you know, gear, like one of the things is quality egg production. and um, But that's just one of the, the benefits of Inositols. Um, You know, we want to be ovulating uh, as long as we can because that's, you know, our bodies are... That, that's how they're designed. Yep. yep, that's a perfect point, too, because a lot of times we only think of wanting ovulation when it will serve us a purpose of getting pregnant, but it serves us a purpose long after that. So, you, yep, that's a great point. Yeah, it just it keeps you regulated, and, you know, you, we do want to keep the cortisol down. You know, we don't mm -hmm. want our body that constant state of stress because then we can't ever just regulate and just relax and just mm -hmm. be at peace. Mm -hmm. So it, it's still important to continue to take those supplements or those essential oils, and just, you know, keep the body the way the body's meant to just be in a relaxed state. Well, I would love to dive into essential oils, but I think that I'm going to have to invite you to come on to another podcast where we just talk PCOS and essential oils. How does that sound? That's perfect. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Um, well, you know, I would love for you both to kind of leave us with a message of hope for women with PCOS in, in this stage of life. I would say that my number one thing that I tell um, patients is be your own advocate. Um, I'm a big, big, big promoter of be your own advocate. And that, you know, means I think, you know, really, if you know something's not right, no matter where you are in the stage of the game, the lifespan, whatnot, you know, listen to your body. Nobody knows your body as well as you do. I mean, I have some great stories from women, um, you know, that have gone 
looking for answers, and they've been told, you know, one of my favorites is a patient that said, she went to a doctor and said, you know, this and this and this is going on, and he didn't do any testing, and he looked straight at her and said, nothing's wrong. And she turned back and said, no, something's wrong. You just don't know what it is. Hmm. And she turned it back on him, which, you know, I just, A, love that kind of sass. Mm-hmm, absolutely. <laughs> and the B, I just love, you know, the fact about being your own advocate, that, you know, there is great resources and information out there. Build a team that you feel comfortable working with, uh, you know, and there are answers, you know, and make sure that people are listening. So, you know, I think that a lot of times we just don't listen to other people and people have great stories to tell. So I would just, I really, really promote the patient advocate and, you know, be your number one supporter. Yeah, and, and absolutely. Go ahead, Wendy. For me, too, you know, advocacy, I always preach advocacy. You know, you are you are going to always be your own best, you know, resource, you know, to, to do what you think is right for you. But I also believe wholeheartedly in building your own support system. You know, in, in the more people that you have around you that understand you and can get behind you and to help you, to lift you up, to just, you know, empower you to be a better you, I think is a phenomenal resource to have as well. You know, we as women, we tend to be more um, nurturing and we have these relationships that we can just, you know, we, we have good days and bad days together. And I think that just the power of having your your people, your mm-hmm. tribe around you is a huge benefit no matter where you are in life and no matter what you're going through. And sometimes you need to detox people. Absolutely. <laughs> cleaning might mean uh, take some people off it that phone list. <laughs> no, great, great advice. Um, and if a woman listening is um, interested in more information about your practice, how can she get in touch with you? I would say the best place to start is btbha.com. So it stands for Beyond the Basics Health Academy, um, but then btbha.com is usually the easiest place to find us, or you can spell it out. Um, There is an Ask Us section, or you can send an email to info at btbha.com. Lots of information there, um, but that would probably be the best if you have any questions. or And there's information on both Wendy and I on the site and then how to contact us. So I would say that would be the easiest and best way to find either one of us. Okay, and I will definitely list that URL uh, underneath the podcast and um, in the in the notes section. Um, and we will have you back for to talk about essential oils because that's a very popular topic on PCOS Diva, if you'd like to, to join us again. Yes, we definitely would. Great. Well, thank you both for, for coming on the PCOS Diva podcast, and thank you everyone for listening. I just want to highlight that I have a, um, two great speakers lined up um, in the, the coming months. Dr. Mark Ratner, he is the medical uh, director for Serologics, and he's going to be talking about inositols, and he's also a male fertility expert. So we're going to talk uh, a little bit about male fertility and, and how to improve that. Um, and then we also have Dr. Rashmi Khadija uh, joining us again. She is a reproductive endocrinologist, and we're going to be talking about IVF for the PCOS patient. So if you um, would like to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss one, you can do that at iTunes. Um, they're available um, on iTunes, and you can also check back at pcosdiva.com. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I look forward to being with you again soon.